Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guests. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to set up a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also, visit our website, 9thAvenueCofC.com, or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the 9th Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. For those that are visiting that have never visited here before, I'm not the regular person that stands here in this pulpit. The elders gave me this opportunity as our ministers are away at a last leaders event in Nashville to present a lesson to you from before God's Word. This being a day that is proclaimed to be Easter, it's a day when people the world over stop in their lives and consider. They may not consider it for many other times during the year, but today they stop and consider about the man who rose from the dead, never to die again. That's what we'd like to talk about this morning, about that one who rose from the dead, never die again. Title this lesson, Arise, My Love, and I appreciate Tanner reading that verse from John chapter 10, verses set that passage from John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, where Christ proclaimed that he laid down his life and that he could take it up again because that had been given him by the Father. Now, there's a movie that, that I like and that my grandchildren like, Beauty and the Beast, and it has a song in it that's very familiar to all of those of you who have ever seen the movie about the tale that that movie talks about. In that song, the ending lyrics to that song are, Tell as old as time, song as old as rhyme. This morning I'd like for us to talk about a tale, an account, a story that is older than time. The Bible record of Jesus Christ in First Timothy, excuse me, in Second Timothy chapter one, verses eight through ten, here Paul talked about how that before the ages began, Jesus' tale was known by God. Beginning in verse 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before ages began. Before ages began is what we often think of in the beginning, Genesis 1-1. That's our beginning. Before that, the tale of Christ had already begun. Before God said, let there be light, Christ's tale had begun. God had purposed that. It had been an eternal purpose. Now, you know, for our finite minds, that's hard for us to understand that in the eternal purpose of God, before he ever created the first thing, he had a plan for our salvation a plan that included Jesus Christ, a plan that included his resurrection from the dead to never die again. Now, this morning, I'd like to talk about this tale, very familiar to you. He's promised in the Old Testament we could spend all day today, not just this morning, not just in a few minutes this morning, but all day today going over every account of where Christ is promised to be coming. Genesis 3.15, shortly after the fall, shortly after Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, 
God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking to Satan, and between your offspring and her offspring, he, the one coming, shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So near the beginning, the tale of Christ began to be revealed. He's coming. Abraham, Genesis 12, 3. In you shall all nations of the earth be blessed. Not just you, Abraham, not just your descendants, all nations. Here God has promised again that he is coming. Moses foretells of this in Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 19. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It gets narrowed down a little bit. Here it's going to be from the descendants of Israel, not just descendants of Abraham, but the descendants of Israel. And he will be a prophet like Moses. Moses was that one that the children of Israel, if you remember, when God spoke to them from Mount Sinai, they went to Moses and said, don't let him speak to us again. You go speak to him. Come back and tell us what he says. What he says we will do. Moses became the voice of God to the people of Israel. They were afraid to hear the voice of God. It caused them to tremble. Later on, we're told that even Moses trembled during that time when the mountain was quaking and there was darkness and thunder and lightning and fire and smoke when God spoke those Ten Commandments, those ten words from the top of Mount Sinai. But in that, Moses says, God will raise up a prophet like me from among your own people. Again, he's coming. Isaiah seven fourteen. He's coming to be born of a virgin. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Again, he's coming, and now we know what one of his names will be, Emmanuel. The definition, God is going to be with you. So it's going to be that one that is coming, that one that will bruise the head of Satan, that one that will bless all peoples of the earth, that one that will be a prophet like Moses, will be born of a virgin, and his name will be Emmanuel. Later on in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. A multitude of titles, Wonderful Counselor, and certainly as Christ went about, as we'll get to a little later in his tale, as he went about, he gave people knowledge. He gave them knowledge of the Father. As he told the disciples on the evening of his arrest, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Thomas had said, show us the Father. So he was a wonderful counselor, but also the government shall be on his shoulder. He'll be mighty God, everlasting Father, and a Prince of Peace. Where was he to be born? Now again, in the beginning, that message, he's coming. He's coming through you, Abraham. He's coming through you, children of Israel. He's going to be born of a virgin, but where? In Micah 5.2, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. A tale as old as time, no. That tale older than time. The one who's coming is from of old. 
but older than old from the ancient of days. The one who was there, as we could look at in Hebrews and see that everything that was created was created for him and by him. In the beginning, Jesus was there. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. Jesus said, let there be light. He was there. Let us make man in our image. He was there in the us make man. He is from the ancient of days. Then he's born. He's finally here. Those few verses we looked at, and we could continue to look on and on and on at those verses there in the Old Testament about his coming and about how he would live his life, about how he would be, about how his life would actually end. If we turn to Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, we would see the end of his life, but we're not there yet. He is born. Gabriel speaks to Mary. Luke 1, 26 through 33, he comes to her and he tells her that she is the one that has been favored of God. She is the one that will be overcome with the Holy Spirit. She is the one that would have a son that would be born and that he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. He's coming. Now this was in the sixth month of her cousin Elizabeth's maternity in that three months hence, John the Baptist, John the Immerser would be born and he was the one who would proclaim the message that Christ was here that he is coming, that he's here, and I'm not worthy to touch his shoes, the latchet in some translations of his feet. Then you have Caesar Augustus declares that there will be a census and a taxation, and in order to do that, all people had to go back to their hometown, back to the place of their birth, to be recorded in that census and to pay the tax. Caesar Augustus, to give you a little background on that, had just spent a long time in a civil war in Rome, and he had finally defeated all his challengers. He was finally the Caesar, the ruler of the Roman Empire, but that had cost a lot of money. They had paid a lot of money to pay those legionnaires to defeat those who had tried to overthrow him and to become Caesar. And so he needed funds, and so you have... God taking an event that happens in the world to bring about a fulfillment of a prophecy back in Micah 5 and 2. In those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And we know the story. While they were there, it came time for birth. They got there, and all the rooms were taken, and so they were given a stable to stay in for the evening, and Christ was born that evening. He was wrapped in swaddling cloths, as we call them, and laid in a manger, a place for him to lay and rest. Then the angels appeared to the shepherds who were out guarding their sheep, and they came to the place where Christ lay to see this great event that the angels had told them about. Mary, in verse 19, treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. How that the shepherds had told them that that these angels had appeared, first one and then a multitude singing and praising God about the birth of this child. Also in Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25, Matthew records, Now the birth of Jesus 
took place in this way when his mother had been betrothed, before they came together, before she had known a man, she was expecting a child. And we know that Joseph was going to put her away privately and that the angel appeared to him in a dream and says, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And again, Jesus, in some translations, Emmanuel, for he will save their people from their sins, save his people. And so this was there in Matthew, says this is a fulfillment of that Isaiah chapter 7 that we looked at, Isaiah 7 and 14. Matthew says that's the fulfillment of that by inspiration. Then not much is mentioned about Christ in his life other than his presentation at the temple some uh, 40 days after his birth. That, for the, that was in fulfillment of the commands of the law of Moses, and it was there that he met two prophets, one male, one female, who had been told by God that they would live until they had seen the salvation of Israel had seen the salvation of God, and they, they were able to see Christ when he was 40 days old. Then we move on a little bit, and we go to his life. At age 12, Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52, gives the account of his parents going down to the feast in Jerusalem. And after the feast, they're going to journey back home. And they go a day's journey, and they, get look, they begin to look for him, and they can't find him in the caravan, in the group. And so they travel back to Jerusalem, and they spend three days in Jerusalem looking for him. So they've spent five days not knowing where their 12-year-old son is, where Jesus is. They finally find him in the temple asking questions and answering questions, and the priests there are marveling at his knowledge of God's word. And they ask him a question that, like all parents, was, why did you do this to us? I'm paraphrasing. Why did you not tell us where you were? And you all know his answer. Did you not know I must be in my father's house and that I must be about my father's business? At the age of 12, he began to know, possibly earlier, but it's recorded at the age of 12, he knew that his father's business included his father's house, the temple in Jerusalem. Then we have in Matthew chapter 3 the account of his coming to John. John was near the Jordan River where he was baptizing many and Christ came to him to be baptized by him. Remember John's refusal. John says, no, I have need to be baptized of you. And Christ said, suffer it to be so for now that we may fulfill all righteousness. Here at this age where he's going to be baptized by John, he does it to fulfill righteousness. He was living his life before his father as he, was, as he should. Then, after his baptism, he's taken out into the desert place, into a deserted place, where we talk about the temptation of Christ. It wasn't the only time he was tempted in his life, but it is a, a record of this temptation of Christ, Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. We know how Satan came to him because he was hungry and said, of these stones make bread. And Christ refused, saying that shall not live by bread alone. And he took him to the top, of, to a pinnacle of the temple and says, cast yourself down. And he quoted scripture to him. He will command his angels concerning you. And on 
their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You shall not tempt or test God. Then to the top of the mountain, Worship me, and I'll give you all these that I've shown to you, all nations of the earth. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Christ, at an early age, showed his dedication to following God, to following his Father. He continued that through his baptism, through what we call the temptation of Christ. Then he begins to preach, Matthew four seventeen, And the message that he preaches is, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, turn, change your life. He's telling that to everyone in the region of Galilee, in the region of Judea. Everyone who would listen and hear. Due to his teaching, due to his healing, multitudes followed him. Matthew 4, 25. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and beyond the Jordan. So he wasn't just staying in Galilee. He was preaching throughout the whole land of Israel on both sides of the Jordan River, proclaiming that simple message, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus continues his preaching. He heals many. He heals so many that the crowds throng and he's, they're not able to get to him. Some say, if I can just touch him, I'll be healed. Remember the lady who said, if I can just get close enough to him and touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And she was. There were those others who tore the roof apart in a house and let their friend down so he could be healed because they couldn't get to him. He fed 5,000 men on one occasion, not counting the women and children. 4,000 men on another occasion, again, not counting the women and children. He fed them. He fed them not only physically, but he fed them spiritually with the things that he taught. He sends out the 12 to heal and to teach and to preach. And the thing there to teach and to preach is repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The children of Israel needed to hear this message to turn to God. Why? Something different is coming. Something different is here. Then he begins to, those 12 that he's chosen, he begins to tell them what's going to happen to him. Matthew 16, 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. He tells them that more than once, and it's recorded more than once in Matthew 20 and 17. He records there for the third time, he tells them the same thing, that he's going to Jerusalem, that he's going to be arrested, that he's going to be severely mistreated, that he's going to be killed, but on the third day, he's going to rise. On that journey to Jerusalem, he takes Peter, James, and John to the top of the mountain in Matthew 17, verses 1 through 9, and there he's transfigured before them. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him, and in some translations, talking about the things that were shortly to come to pass. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Moses and Elijah representing the law and the prophets. You had the law, the prophets represented, and Moses and Elijah, and you have Christ, the Redeemer, Emmanuel, wonderful counselor, mighty God, Prince of Peace, 
that's there. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. When the, but Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Peter, James, and John saw Christ. Can you, can you imagine seeing someone with their face glowing like the sun? As bright as the sun on top of a mountain. With their body, with their body shining through and their clothes appearing white. Whiter than any white we can get. I have on a white shirt this morning, but I pictured it being whiter than this white shirt I have on in my mind. These three men are terrified. They don't know what to do. Not only do they see him that way, then they see Moses and Elijah. Moses, the great lawgiver. Elijah, the prophet of prophets, accounted that way in the minds of the Israelites. What do we do? They made a wrong proposition. I was trying to think of the right word to say. They proposed that they build something to honor all three, and God says, no, listen only to my son. Hear him. They kept that to themselves until after, after the things that he had been telling them on this journey was going to happen that he's going to be killed, and that he's going to rise again. He enters Jerusalem. We have those accounts there in Luke 19, 28 through 40, and Matthew 21, 1 through 11, how that on this journey, after this transfiguration, after he stopped and had a meal with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead, after he had healed several along this way, blind Bartimaeus had been healed. As he continued to do those good things, as Luke recorded about him in, in the book of Acts, that he went about doing good as he continued to do those things on his way to Jerusalem, knowing he's going to be mistreated, knowing he's going to die. He goes about doing good still. That was his life. He enters Jerusalem to the praise of the people. Hosanna. Hosanna to God in the highest. And they're cutting branches of limbs. They're throwing their blankets in the road so that their king want to have dust raised upon his body as he rides into the city. That's on Sunday. On Friday, they're screaming, crucify him. Some of those same people, crucify him. His blood be upon us, crucify him. And then we get to his death. Have the record in Matthew 27, 32 through 56. Mark 15, 21 through 41. Luke 23, 26 through 49. You know how that he was taken to the household of Caiaphas, how there he was mistreated, how there he was finally convicted of blasphemy, although they couldn't execute the death penalty, so they take him to Pilate. Pilate comes and listens, and he tells him, I find no fault in him. He finds and discovers that he's a Galilean, and so that would be Herod's jurisdiction, so he sends him to Herod. Herod's people mistreat him. Herod's people question him, mock him, make fun of him, and Herod tires of it, and he sends him back to Pilate. He's there with Pilate, and Pilate comes out again and says, I find no fault in him. 
What do you have me do with the king of the Jews? And again, they're screaming, crucify him. Crucify him. He tries to escape it by saying, I'll release one prisoner to you. Who do you want me to release? And he goes and he gets the worst prisoner he has in custody, Barabbas, a murderer, a robber, an insurrectionist, and says, which one would you rather have, Barabbas or Christ, king of the Jews? Release Barabbas. Give us that horrible guy and kill this good guy who had done only good things. He went about doing good. Pilate still tries to escape. He says, I will question him by scourging, and then I'll release him. If you release him, you're no friend of Caesar's. He has him scourged. Scourging is horrible. He has him beaten. Isaiah, in that 52nd and 53rd chapter, talks about he was so marred by the beatings that he endured after his arrest that he didn't even look human. And then... They take him out, and they crucify him. They lead him out. And while he's on the cross, one of his sayings, there are seven sayings there. One of them is, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And then he dies. He's placed in that tomb. He had told them during while he was there in that tomb that he would spend a brief period of time there and then be resurrected. That then he would live again. Matthew 27, 62 through 28, 10 talks about that resurrection. Luke 24, verses 1 through 12 also has the record that Luke was inspired to write. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went, forth, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, excuse me, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. But has risen. Remember how he told you while he was in, still in Galilee that the Son of Man must, must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Last week, Brother John Gardner led us in a song. We saw thee not. That poem set to a melody, we sang. The words of that, I, I know you know them. Read them briefly to you. We saw thee not when thou didst come to this poor world of sin and death, nor yet beheld that cottage home and that despised Nazareth. We saw thee not when lifted high amidst that wild and savage crew. <clears throat> Don't heard we that imploring cry, forgive, they know not what they do. We gaze not in that open tomb where once thy mangled body lay, nor saw thee in that upper room, nor met thee on the open way. We walk not with the chosen few who saw thee from the earth ascend, who raised to heaven their wondering view, then low to earth, all prostrate bend. Then that's followed up with, but we believe. We believe your footsteps trod. 
thou Son of God. We believe that deed, the crucifixion was done, that shook the earth and veiled the sun. But we believe that angels said, why seek the living with the dead? But we believe that human eyes beheld that journey to the skies. Paul reminds the Corinthians of the simple gospel message in 1 Corinthians 15.1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. Unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. That gospel message, Christ came, he lived, he died, he was resurrected to never die again. One other song you have there on your outlines, and Neil may be going to put the chorus up, but the verses we'll read. It's number 160. Not a word was heard at the tomb that day, just shuffling soldiers' feet as they guarded the grave. One day, two day, three day, days had passed. Could it be that Jesus had breathed his last? Could it be that his father had forgotten him or forsaken him, turned his back on his son, despising our sin? All hell seemed to whisper, just forget him, he's dead. Then the father looked down on his son and said, arise, my love, arise, my love. The grave no longer has a hold on you, no more death sting, no more suffering. Arise, arise, my love. The earth trembled, and the tomb began to shake, and like lightning from heaven, the stone rolled away. And as dead men, the guards stood there in fright, as the power of love displayed its might. Then suddenly a melody filled the air, riding wings of wind, it was everywhere. The words all creation had been longing to hear, the sweet sound of victory so loud and clear. Now, I know this chorus may not be familiar to you, but it's easy to sing. If you would, sing along with me as we sing this chorus. Arise, my love, arise, my love. The grave no longer has a hold on you. No more destiny, no more suffering. Arise, arise, my love. Because of God's love, because of God's love for us, Christ rose from the dead. A tale older than time, a, a tale sweeter than rhyme, a tale that began before the ages, a tale that will continue on after the ages have ended, that Christ came, that he was promised, that he came, 
that he lived, that he died, and that he was resurrected so that you and I may live. If you've not answered that gospel call, it's extended to you at this time. That gospel call that the blood of Christ can wash away your sins. But if you've answered it and gone back and not followed him, that gospel call is still there. That blood will still cover your sins if you turn back to God, come and repent, and we'll pray with you and for you as you change your life. Please come as we stand and as we sing.